This is a Holding Hands podcast. And welcome to another exciting episode of Always Child Focused Questions. My name is Benjamin Goddard. I'm your host, reporting for duty as always, fully caffeinated this morning. And joining me as always is our service manager, Jackie. Jackie, how are you? I'm good, thanks, Ben. How are you? I am well. Now, I know that you have been excited for this episode for a very, very long time now. You've been, we, this is something that we have. have been planning and talking about for a few months, I think. Yes, we have. Let's not yes. let our listeners uh, wait any longer. Who we got? Okay, sounds good. So today we have Michelle Silva. Welcome, Michelle, to our podcast. How are you going today? Thank you very well. Thank you for having me. So it's really lovely today to have you as a guest um, to talk about all things mediation or FDR, as it's also commonly known. <clears throat> Excuse me. So Michelle is the co-founder of the mediation team um, and has been working as a family dispute resolution practitioner or FDRP for over 10 years in both the NGO sector and in family relationship centers, otherwise known as FRCs. And I love the acronyms. Um, So Michelle's also a panel member on a number of really important departments, including the New South Wales Legal Aid Early Intervention Unit. Does that have an acronym? I don't know, actually. Michelle, does it? I don't think so. No, we can make one up. N-S-W-L-A-E-I-U, something like that. (laughs) Use all the letters of the alphabet. (laughs) So... Michelle, you and I have known each other professionally for a really, really long time. Um, of what I've noticed, that we've actually got this common passion for making sure the clients are fully informed. So the podcast today is all about that, informing parents about FDR, what happens in the process, what are some of the common misconceptions, and where you see FDR fitting into the future of the family court space. So let's get started. Perfect. So tell me... What is your role as an FDRP and who can become an FDRP? Okay, so I'll I'll start with your second question first. Anybody can really become an FDRP. There is a misconception, I think, amongst people that you have to have a social science or legal background, but that is not correct. But you Mm. have to actually qualify and train to become an FDRP. And so there are a number of um, organizations that do the training, uh, College of Law and um, previously Relationships Australia used to do it as well. And so it's a course that lasts a couple of months. You go through Mm -hmm. various modules and when you are assessed as competent, you then need to do a placement in, you know, an FRC or an NGO or or sometimes maybe even in a um, private organization. And Mm -hmm. then you also need to become accredited with the Attorney General's department. The reason for that is only accredited FDRPs can issue what is called a Section 60I certificate. Tell me what that is. Okay. So at the end of the process, at the end of doing the mediation, if the parents or the parties, because it's not always parents, might mm. be grandparents as well with children, um, decide that they actually want to enter the court process, they need to ask 
for a certificate because that that section 60i certificate needs to be lodged mm. before you can initiate an application for parenting matters mm. there are some exclusions um around you know domestic violence mm. and child protection matters where you might not need a certificate but for the vast majority you do mm. and the only people that can issue those certificates are qualified fdrp accredited mm. yeah. accredited yeah thank you that's a really good explanation just sort of telling parents what those little steps are michelle um, i'm curious to know what drew you to um fdr what, like what so, got you into it you know i think that for me ben i'm i'm always curious about people and relationships i didn't want to work back in the legal space i have a legal background i think i wasn't really wanting to work in such an adversarial space I wanted to work in a more relational space mm. and I was also very interested in trying to work with families and assisting them to hopefully come up with some arrangements that are best suited for their children. Great. So it's more relational than adversarial really. I love it. We, we, well, not for the adversarial uh, approach over here at, at Holding Hands either. We, we want, obviously, mm. and Jackie will say this, for, uh, we want you know parents to be collaborative in working for their for their children. That's Absolutely. my sweet spot too. That's my sweet spot, and that what has been the great gift for me about mediation. Mm. Fantastic. Sorry, Jackie, I interrupted the question. That's okay. Um, so I was going to ask you, what is your role as an FDRP? So let's just imagine that uh, I'm a parent calling you up to ask about FDR. I don't know anything about it. What is that brief information that you tell me over the phone? Talk me through it step by step. Okay. So irrespective of which space you are working in, Mm. whether you're working in an NGO or whether you're working privately, that first phone call is really important because Mm. it is the initial step towards some kind of engagement and connection. You're often dealing with parents who are dysregulated, overwhelmed. They've been told by their lawyers, you need mediation. Here's a list, Mm. phone a mediator. Or it might even be court ordered. Or some people just, you know, decide we need it ourselves and will initiate the call. But generally those people that call know nothing about mediation. So your first step is to just ask them what it is that has brought, why they are calling, what is it they need assistance and support with. So they might say something like, I'm not seeing my children, or I'm unhappy about the current arrangements, or, um, you know, we've just recently separated and things are a total mess, and I Mm. can't talk to the other parent. So the mediator gets a sense of what the driver is, that is bringing the person to mediation, and will then just very briefly explain to them what the mediation process is, probably in a few lines. Mm. Just to say that, you know, if you come to mediation, this is an opportunity for you and the other parent to come together to try and resolve some of your issues. Mm. So, Michelle, I I imagine that you've got a lot of parents who will come and say, there's nothing to mediate on. We don't agree on anything. Where are they wrong? Okay, so the fact is that the first phone call that you have is really quite invitational. You're trying to invite people into a process, but there are two parents. So there's one parent will phone and say, I need mediation, right? Mm. 
And then, and we'll talk about that a bit later, you will do an assessment interview with them and decide whether mediation is suitable. And then you will reach out to the other parent. So, apropos your question, if you yeah. phone that person and you go, hello, I'm Michelle, um, I've been approached by X about some mediation, I'm reaching out to you to see whether you're coming to the process as well. They might often say, why? Mm, is that right. wrong? The other yeah. person's mad or won't agree to anything or things are going fine. There's nothing. <laughs> I always say, I understand, you know, that things might be going well for you. But is everything going well? Are you 100% oh, good question. everything like that. happening? And they might go, oh, no, absolutely not. I've just learned to live with it. And I go, well, this might be your opportunity to find a safe space Fantastic. to have a confidential chat. And we can iron out some of your issues too. And then they will come in. Because mm, that's really powerful. There's an initiator for mediation. Yeah. And they have probably thought about it. Mm, I want mediation. The other person might be blindsided by that call. Yeah. Mm, yeah, great totally. point. So to, to somebody who's who, who gets that call, who's listening, they, they, may have not got, they may not have gotten that call yet. That call may be coming. They don't know. Right. Yes. What would you? What would your advice to them be? Like, you get a call from a mediator. You know, obviously the broader advice is be open. But what would your specific advice to them be, Michelle? Great question, Ben. There are two steps there. We are required in terms of the regulations when we reach out to what we call the party B. The person mm. doesn't mean that they're less important because they're not party A. It's just easier to say the person that initiates is called party A. So you reach out to the party B, the mom, yeah. the dad, the grandparent, whoever it is. Okay. But the way in terms of the regulations is you need to make two attempts in writing first. When I first started uh, as a mediator, in the old days when there was snail mail, we used to send letters. Well, that doesn't happen anymore. You write your email and you'll email you'll introduce yourself and you'll say, Yeah, person, I've been approached by X about mediation. This is what it is. Please contact me for a confidential chat. I generally do. Oh, that's they interesting. They generally do. Yes. If oh, they cool. don't, if they don't, you'll send another email and mm. then you can try a phone call um, because sometimes it might go to junk mail. Yeah, sure, sure. Yeah. And and what would what would your advice to these people who are receiving these two emails and then maybe getting a call from, because if they're getting these two emails, they if they're not responding, they can expect a call from a mediator. What would your advice to them be, you know, like, be open to the process. Consider the children. What's what's the approach? On the, if, if I were to eventually get to step three about the phone call, it would be something like, um, you know, I have tried to contact you. I'm Michelle. I'm a mediator from whatever. Um, have you got a few minutes to chat? Yep. Look, the other parent has initiated a process, and I'm just curious whether that is something you are willing to participate in. It's important to understand as well that even though mediation is voluntary, mm. I cannot force you, any person to come. It's voluntary with a few conditions. And what that means is if you refuse to come, which is your right to do, and the other party wants to go to court for orders and you don't attend, I will issue a certificate to that parent saying yeah. Ben failed or refused to attend. Mm. That gets into the papers and, and why shouldn't they refuse well they might say 
Um, oh, you saying why they should or shouldn't? No, why they sh- why they shouldn't refuse? Why they should accept your invitation? Well, of course, we would love them to accept the invitation because mm-hmm. if there are issues, if it's a couple of years or something, or sometimes it is post separation, and the communication is awful between the yeah. parents, and the conflict is ongoing, in fact, hasn't reduced, the children are struggling. Those are all absolutely you know, red flags mm. for a happy, healthy, post-separated family to find their feet. So yes. if both parents can hear that it's not a threatening process, but they might actually have a voice, or they will have a voice, and be able to air some of the things that have been troubling them, mm. they, they are often very, you know, open to coming in because... One of the questions I often say is, so you two, three years post-separation, how are things going? They go, oh, you know, I'm just living with it or it's terrible. I say, would you like things to be different? And they'll say, absolutely. I say, but you are the agent for difference. So we'd like to hear from you. Mm, oh, I really like that. That's really good. And I know I'm throwing really difficult questions at you and I've got, another, I've got one more. Yes. You know, a, a, lot, a lot of these people who you call, a lot of the party B must say, sitting in a room with them there's no way i'm seeing across from my ex what tell us about that what a great question okay so let's assume i call you ben and i say will yep. you come in and for it and they say what how does it work i say there are two steps hmm. the first is what we call an intake assessment and i wonder if some of your clients have also done intake assessment so they might yes. know about that right yeah so that's about an hour and a half to two hours And what I am doing as the mediator is I am required under certain regulations in the Family Law Act to assess for suitability for the process. Is this a suitable process for you? I need to look look at, not only do I assess for suitability, I also do a risk assessment. And in the, what I will then say to the client is, if you come in, part of my questions to you will be, how do you feel about sitting in the same room as your former partner? Okay. Absolutely. Would you be able to find your voice? I don't think so. So do, would that mean that you wouldn't be able to articulate some of your concerns? Yes, they overwhelm me. They look at me in a particular way. They raise their eyebrow in a particular way. And I just get overwhelmed and triggered. Mm. So my assessment then is to say, fine, we can adapt the process. We can offer you a shuttle. What does that mean? Mm. You are in separate rooms. You separate do not rooms. See you do not see each other. And one of the great gifts of COVID is something called Zoom. <laughs> yes. <laughs> we do it on Zoom remotely. You are in separate Zoom rooms. You do not see each other at all. The mediator manages shuttle between the rooms. It's about keeping both parties safe. Yeah. Giving them a voice to be to be able to speak to be listened to, to be heard. Not to be necessarily agreed with, but to be heard. So yeah, my fantastic. Job. And I don't think it's going to be a galloping shock or a controversial statement to make to say that going to mediation is obviously going to be a, a friendlier approach, a less adversarial approach than having to go through court with the spectre of actually having to sit and, and be examined and cross-examined, mm. which I imagine would be completely horrible. Yeah. You know, like, yeah, so, the, you know, I hope that the parents listening today actually 
can hear that this is actually a better if you can manage it and there's obviously mm-hmm. ways that um, yes. great mediators like Michelle can manage it yes can they can actually get someplace without having to spend the, the, the financial resources and the emotional resources on the family court and the family court process mm. which we all know is you know not great yeah well I think you've, you've, you've really bundled up in there a lot of really important considerations Ben yeah what I'd say that in response is that mediators we're not anti the legal process mm. because yeah. there are some matters that do need to be in court completely you know what I mean so if there are where there are really serious complexities and very serious matters around, you know, issues of drug or alcohol or child protection or mental health, they might need to be, or if there's, you know, really decades, lots and lots of intracted conflict and stuff like that. Yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Is that we're not, we're not working against the legal system. We're actually working often hand in hand with them. Mm. But offering the legal process is not really there to fix relationships. And not, and not, and I'm not saying that mediators and, and mediation is is either. But the law, the law is the law, and they are there to actually, you know, manage legal outcomes. What mm. we mediation is to try and put a more relational lens on things and to privilege the parents as the experts on their family. Lawyers, judges, judges and judicial officers are not the expert on individual oh, completely, families. completely. They're guided, they're guided by, you know, um, you know, special f- um, family reports, you know, mm. that comes through from the independent children's lawyers, you know, how the parents stand up in court, you know, through cross-examination and stuff like that. What mediation is, is it's informal and it's non-legal, and it's self-determined, it's self-determined for the parents. 100%. It mm. actually put because the power lies with the parents to come to their own agreements. Yes. The power yeah, is right. completely removed once you go to court. Mm. And sometimes that's exactly what needs to happen for those complex matters. Of course, yeah. of course. Absolutely, yeah, 100%. The vast majority of matters that we see are not necessarily urgent in the sense of needing to be in a court space. It's just that the parents' dynamic has been such that it has evolved to a point where they can't communicate and the conflict has become overwhelming and sometimes, sadly, the children get lost in the process. Michelle, that has been so insightful. Thank you so much for coming on today. We really, really, really appreciate um, the information that you've given to us about FDR and, and the process. I, I get the sense that we still have a lot more to learn from you. Um are we able to invite you back for another episode to talk about how you can uh, ensure that the child is at the centre of the FDR process? Would that be okay? I would love it more than anything because that is, that is what what keeps me in the game. Let's put it that way, for sure. Wonderful. Thank you so much. And that's another episode of Always Child Focused. Done. To find out more about Michelle and the mediation team, you can visit our blog post that is attached to this podcast episode through our website, www.holding-hands.com.au and click on the blog link at the top. That's it from me. Thank you for listening. Bye for now. You've been listening to Always Child Focus, a podcast by Holding Hands. 
Holding Hands would like to acknowledge the traditional owners of the land, sky and waterways where we are able to learn.